Uh, welcome to another episode of The Security Table. I'm uh, Chris Romeo. Excited to be, once again, joined by my friends, Tanya Ward, Isar Tarandosh, Matt Coles. And we're here to have some fun with application and software security and a whole bunch of other things along the way. We've got a fun topic, though, for today, which I think is going to result in maybe multiple hours of debate and conversation. But simple question that I'm going to throw out to the panel here that I think is going to balloon into something much bigger along the way. And that is, should security give up on developers in 2023? And so I got this idea from a Jupiter One article where they were talking about should, you know, security should, will give up on users as a line of defense. But it made me think that we think about developers a lot more. And so should security just give up on developers in 2023? Tanya, kick us off here. What are your thoughts? Oh my goodness. Maybe I'll revert that. Should developers give up in security? Um, no, we shouldn't yeah. give up. In... <laughs> it's it's another way of looking at it. I mean, developers have a lot on their plate, right? Between, you know, they're only being asked to do more with less and, you know, again, following up with the tooling discussion. So no, I, I don't think we should. I think we should continually figure out the right way to equip them so that they can do the best job that they can in putting the right defenses in, in place within our products and applications. So you're kind of looking at me, so uh, what, what, what's your thoughts? <laughs> I'd say it depends. I mean... <laughs> We have this huge population of, of developers, right? We have millions and millions and millions of them out there. We, we are, we as security practitioners, we are sorely outnumbered. And for a long time, we have been pushing these crazy notions of security champions and every developer becoming a, their own security champion or uh, all kinds of things like that. And then we, <clears throat> sorry. And then we complemented that with uh, uh, secure libraries and secure defaults and threat modeling and secure first time of the, uh, the day and uh, secure design and all that good stuff. And uh, CVs continued mounting up. So something, something was wrong there. And lately I've been starting to think that perhaps some developers should be more secure than others. So back to the, it depends. I think that perhaps we don't have to push as much security to every developer out there, but start thinking in terms of what is it that they're working on? And uh, perhaps some developers should have, should be more security minded than others. How would you break that down? Like what, what's, I'm curious as to your thought on what's, who would be more security minded? Like what would, what would be your qualifications for somebody or the, how would you determine that person needs to be more security minded and that person doesn't? So I, I'm free flowing here. I, I didn't give this any prior thought, but we keep saying, for example, Hey, you shouldn't have any kind of uh, security in the front end. Perhaps we don't have to give so much security time to front-end developers. Perhaps we should finally, I don't know, concentrate on the back-end ones and make sure that they are doing the right thing because after all, that's where the funny stuff happens. And browsers are coming up with all kinds of better and better and better defense mechanisms anyway. So it's not a, a give up, it's a, why don't we modulate how much security time we give to each class of developer? Is that something that we can even do? 
Yeah, sorry, did we do that for quality? Did we? I, I mean, did. I, yeah, like when I used to write code, I mean, it was always like producing the best, trying to minimize the amount of bugs in the system. So why would security be any different? Please stumpy. Yes, you stumped his arm. I'm trying to articulate it here because myself, I have many, 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 many times jumped up and saying and said, "Hey, security is just another form of quality code, right?" But on the other hand, going back to what I was saying before, it hasn't worked the best way up to now. So perhaps finally something has to change. And I think what you're, what say, you're, I, I can't change. I, I think I saw what you're expressing there is um, sort of uh, understanding, doing doing the cost benefit analysis that we all talk about that we should be, and I'll I'll, I'll gladly put that in the swear jar, uh, charity for that one. But um, you know, somebody needs to look at where where is the value. Like where should we be spending our effort, right? So you're so first off, you're you're taking this approach that the question that was asked was, should we give up on developers? Um, and, and one way I looked at the way you went with it uh, was, you know, the work that developers are doing to secure the systems that they're building. Where's the value, right? Are they effective in their role? Are they uh, able to build systems that have security resiliency um, and and be resistant to attack? And that's absolutely a valid way to look at it. I thought about the problem a little bit differently, like developers and shadow IT as an example, right? Are developers a risk to the organization? That's another aspect we could look at, but if we're looking at specifically, uh, and, and where, when it comes to how systems are deployed, you know, if you're building a product versus you're building an, uh, an app, uh, a web application or, or you know an enterprise service or something that you're going to ex expose to either your internal external customers your um, your developers to play a different role in those environments so but specifically to what you were talking about I think correct me if I'm wrong you were looking at should we spend as much time doing front-end secure development and and as we do for back-end development, for for server-side development, just in the, I guess, in that server client-server model, um, are we getting the same value for the time spent? And I think the answer you've sort of touched upon is no, we're not, right? So the, we spend a lot of time doing front-end development. We know where we've lost the front-end for the most part, right? The server is where we need to do all the defense. Okay, can I ask, so what, what is then not, what's not working? Our, our Wait, current level of defenses, I th our level, our capability of defenses, I think, is what's not working. But also, because of the business pressures, sorry to interrupt, is our, I think the business pressures to release uh, means we're not putting the level of due diligence in. So this is going to open a whole can of worms of, it did Agile exactly. <laughs> screw us over? <laughs> and you know, should we doing should we be doing systems engineering properly? And you know, and and I'm not suggesting we take us back to the 80s and 90s of application development, but we need something better. And it's not just the technology discussion again, right? Same with our last episode. It wasn't a technology. That wasn't essentially a t technology discussion. No. Bring back waterfall. Bring back waterfall. Let's do it. <laughs> One release per two years. That's what we'll we do. Can do it better. We can do it better. We can do it better by doing proper systems engineering, 
Um, I'd like to. I, I don't know if we, we're not supposed to be taking names, giving names here, but I, I want to plug a, uh, some work that has come out of uh, a, a U.S. agency that has put a really good, very comprehensive guide together on how to do secure systems engineering, and we should be looking at following that. Yeah. Why do you but, think but engineering takes time? That's the problem. People don't want to to spend time in in stuff. They want to spend time in other stuff, shiny, interesting stuff. stuff Our stuff. stuff is not shiny and interesting. I mean, what's the root of that problem, though? Is it is it just a resource management challenge? Like, why don't we do, as an industry, good security design, secure, the things that you're talking about, Matt, that are in this document? Like, why aren't they done? Is it it just takes too long and we can't push to production fast enough? Like, what's the challenge? I think, yeah, so certainly certainly time to production, the complexity of the systems we're working with, um, and the state of the tooling to be able to support the automation to make this. So automation replaces developers, right, in ter- in, as a, as to some, expect, some extent, improves productivity and gives us better capability in theory. And so the, the nature of the tools that we have. Now, as we shift to new technology stacks, where the tooling can go more hand-in-hand with it, um, maybe we'll get better about this. But there's so much legacy code out there, I find it hard to believe that we're ever going to catch up. Um, but you know, just the number of develop- developers writing code, the, that code not getting the right level of, rev- rev- of review at a comprehensive level. Sure, somebody can analyze a particular file right, that they make a modification for, but that file doesn't live on its own in all cases, right? It goes into a bigger project, which is part of a bigger project, which is part of a bigger system, and how all of those things interoperate and, and interconnect. Um, it's really complex to do that in a timely fashion. And I, I maybe but, uh, kind of jump in and add, so where are we any better than we were five years ago academically? When, I mean, when I did my, my degree, which was many years ago, um, you know, security wasn't even a part of it. So I think a lot of it is how do we also flip the switch and kind of institute some of these things just in anything that, you know, even from early early on in school, you know, like, for example, when my daughter's in her computer science class at school, I don't think they talk about security. I think they talk about how to build nice things and how we think about requirements. And as we go into university, that that's kind of a similar approach unless you go down a specific security track. So I think there's opportunities from an academic perspective to improve this problem as well. Yeah, developer awareness, I think, is, is actually is also so if you don't have the tools or the capability to do analysis, you need the developers to be at the forefront of that. And they don't have the education, by and large, uh, at least out of school. That, that's the thing, and I, I, I don't think that it's even a, a security education problem, and, and I think that Chris can, can add a lot here, but, you know, Matt, you mentioned tools. We, we can give them better tools. We can give them more secure tools. Take the, the classical example of, uh, okay, you got SQL injection. So we have our checklist, our blah, 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 our spiel. We said, yeah, you have to do input validation, and one of the things that you have to do is work with an ORM an ORM, right? And people say, yeah, that's going to save us. That's going to be... There is always that guy that finds out how to write a query in that ORM framework 
and run that query his way because they think that they are smarter than everybody else and they are, their query is optimized and that's where you're going to find your next SQL injection with an ORM, right? Why? I think, no, come on, that happens in the real world? I thought that was just an academic example. <laughs> it's true sometimes that I am a good representative of the real world, but in my world it happened. But... <laughs> I mean, I've done it myself. I know what you're talking about. So sometimes you need optimization, you need performance, and you can't get enough. The ORM is somehow blocking your ability to execute SQL and get the performance you need to return something. So you got to write some custom SQL to do it. Allegedly. (laughs) The thing is that until we teach people at the first level of awareness, look, yes, there will be bumps in the road. And if you really want to go beyond those bumps in the road, talk to someone who knows more security than you before. Ask, ask questions. There's no problem asking questions, right? There's a whole security stack overflow of their quality unchecked. I'm sure that there is some very good advice there. uh, Can I just jump in here, Izar? There's a problem with, there's a problem with your statement. It's that developers, and I and I want to be careful. Obviously, we work with a lot of talented developers, you know, between all between all of us here. So I'm not calling, you know, not saying this is necessarily a specific problem or general problem. It's probably more general problem. Developers don't know that they need security, and their management may not push them towards that. And so, yes, there's great resources like Stack Overflow and 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 lots of other uh, options now. How would a developer know that they need to take advantage of those things? So yeah, I mean that's we, a that's a, a thing that you need that folks need to think about at the organizational level, though, right? Like this is you know I've been talking about security culture now. It seems like for ten years now it's the it's the it's one of those in terms, and I'm like I was talking about that a long time ago when no one said it, and now everybody <laughs> says it. I'm not saying I'm the one that came up with it. You know, it was I wasn't the beginning of it, but you know when you think about to a couple of points that have been made. These developers, they're going to university. Nobody's teaching them about security. Here's a fun thing that I do all the time. Whenever you meet a kid that's in, in I say kid because I'm almost 50 years old. It's a college people are a kid to me. Um, but somebody who's a student in university, like, and they're in CS. They say, oh, I'm in CS. You know, I love, I'm studying computers. Like, ask them how many security courses they've had. Um, maybe they say they had one network security course. Ask them about their Java course that they have. Did they talk about SQL injection? They're like, no, I don't know what that is. I've never heard those terms. So we have a we have a problem in the educational system that we don't teach people about security, and then we put them into a big company. And unless that company has an approach to say we're going to invest in teaching these things, knowing that some of these people are going to learn these things and then leave and go somewhere else, you know, Richard Branson has a a, a very good quote for this. Like, you know, um, someone says, you know, what what if you teach them and they leave? Well, what if we don't teach them and they stay? <laughs> Like it's the, it's the, it's the alternate approach to that, but there's some truth in that. Like you should invest in teaching developers about security, even though they're, they may go somewhere else and do, and that may benefit someone else's company. But at the end of the day, that's how you, that's how you improve the world is by teaching more people about security. I think that's one problem. The other problem is I think the speed of technology and how fast it's moving. I mean, think about all the different coding languages that have come out in the last several years. And then when you look at those coding languages and you double click and you figure out, okay, how do you, like, how do you ensure that they're 
there's like secure coding practices with these new languages. And then you think about this up the other technology stacks like Kubernetes and containers and microservices. So I think it's a complex problem actually because the learning curve is slower than the technology curve. And I think that's where we start to see gaps and problems. So we, we go back to the shiny objects problem. Right? <laughs> Last week is paint a glass, guys. <laughs> Shiny objects. <laughs> imagine, imagine what happens if you put a shiny object on top of a single plane of glass. Oh, I love <laughs> it. But the, the, the problem here is that you mentioned like the last several years. I challenge you to 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 to, to check the the last month. Yeah, even right? yeah, last month. I mean, we have new frameworks and new languages and new stacks and new whatevers coming up at the speed of mushrooms after rain, right? And people love to jump to those things, jump to the new shiny thing. Why? I don't know. It's new. It must be good. So I think that right now all of us are tending to the side of, no, we should not give up on developers. But we are questioning ourselves if we have to, how is it that we have to reach out to them? If we have to keep giving them the high level stuff that we have been do sorry the high quality stuff that we have been doing or do we admit that they need much more basic awareness level uh, uh, uh understanding level even of security me, before we go there let me flip the, the question on you a little bit here so we i asked that the initial question i asked is should let's change that to could Ooh. Could security give up on developers? It, would, what would that even look like? Is it even possible? And like, I'll just I'll, I'll kick some things out into the conversation here, while giving y'all time to th to think about this and come up with much more eloquent answers than I do. But like, what does that look like? Do we build a pipeline? We put security tools in it, and we send the results to, to a specialized security team, and the specialized security team fixes the bugs, the security issues that were found in the code. I'm, oh my God. Um, really, I'm really uh, spitballing. Uh, I'm spitballing all I, over the place. That, that Please, doesn't, that doesn't seem like a scalable that. solution by any means. Again, <laughs> okay. it's like, you know, do you build, ahead, you know, do you create Navy SEALs or do you want an army that's well-trained? Forget scalable. Do you want developers now telling you that between them and production, there stands somebody who's going to touch their amazing, impenetrable, incredible code? I mean, well, so it, it potentially gets even worse. Security becomes developers. Ooh. So Ooh, now that's we're a new back. Thing. It's a circu It's a circular problem, right? Security has to be developers, and now they have to understand how to be developers, too. And that, and that, I, mean, I guess that's a double-edged sword, right? They, they could be. We should already be looking at ourselves as developers to some extent, right? We have to understand how developers work, but. Now we're going to do it full time if that were if that were the case, right? And so we're back to being developers again. So I think that's part of the problem. The other part of the problem, I think, really key here is and to Tanya's point about not everything can be automated and scaled. Uh, we've been talking primarily about software developers here, but system designers, system developers, architects, hardware engineers, others who are involved in system development, uh, and even some of the operations things about how you get a system to be deployed into production and functional requires human effort. It requires developer effort. 
it requires people who with specialized experience and specialized knowledge and security can't take on all those roles. If you take on all those roles, you're rebuilding your organization into your security yep. team. Matt, you made me think about something when you, because as you were talking, I was thinking of two points. The first one is we keep talking about the word security and it's like, it's kind of like the scary, scary word, you know? And so I think we need to start humanizing that word. Because if we start humanizing it, maybe developers won't give up on us. <laughs> I think um, the second point is you were talking about roles. And I think it's a really good point because there are so many different roles involved in building software. As you've talked about, you have architects, you have systems engineers, you have you know developers, you have even testers fitting into that equation who may write automation. And how do we help these individuals' roles understand the parts that security should play in their in their responsibility. Because, you know, sometimes when we think about champion programs, it's a very, this is what just developers should be doing. We're, we're not looking at all of these different roles and how they play together to build something that's secure. So, uh, uh, the, the thing is that I, I, I joked about the gate between the amazing code and, and production, but the truth is security is never going to know these systems as well as the people who, are, who write them, right? And in all the examples that Matthew uh, uh, listed, I think that what jumped to me was that there is this amazing, forget volume, but variety of specialized knowledge out there that security is never going to get to, right? I mean, if somebody is designing hardware, and they have to think about side channels now. Dude, you can ask me until tomorrow. I'll be Googling as fast as you because I have absolutely no clue, right? And I consider myself a somewhat experienced security person. So for security to try and, and, and get a central place in the stage and say, I am the big gate and everything goes through me right now, I think that not only is counterproductive, but it's a bit... Uh, almost obnoxious. It's a bit... Uh, 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 you'd never ship anything, would you? <laughs> well, yes, you'd be stuck it, in analysis paralysis for the most you know part, what, too. Tanya, to go back to what you said, it's putting ourselves in place of other things that are as exactly. important as, you said quality, I would say reliability, I would say yes. performance. Yes. Mm -hmm. Stuff there that's as important and sometimes much more important than security. So put yourselves in there and say, no, Is that no, no, we're no, more no, important we than performance? Come on. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, hold on. Let's, let's, um, let's, let's poke that one a little bit. So, so <laughs> let's poke you just, the bear, sure. yeah, let's poke the bear. Why not? <laughs> you, so you just, you basically put performance, resiliency, quality, and security all across the board at the same level. And so it, so, so security is the, at the same level as each of those. Or does security sit at a higher priority than those other three? Like, can you have a secure system that, is, that doesn't have a high level of quality? Can you have a secure system that doesn't have a high level of resiliency? Because, you know, can you, if, if security breaks down, we probably lost all of the data, all of our customers' data, and there's a good chance we might be going out of business. If quality breaks down, do we have that same level? So can security sit at a higher level here? But we... we... We love to put ourselves into this higher pedestal right? <laughs> and say that security is an important thing and you guys better pay attention to what we're saying because otherwise tomorrow you're going to be in the news. And you but don't want that kind of news. You want the other kind of news. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. But 
But the, the fact is that when Tanya mentioned quality, we all agreed that security is a facet of quality. On the other hand, if you have code that's non-performing, it could be as secure as anything, but if it's not actually doing what it needs at the time that it needs to do, then is it actually doing something? And if it's very secure and it's not doing something, then why? It's like having a Porsche in your garage and not going out, right? Now, having said that, there is there are dependencies here, right? And, and let's use let's add privacy to this mix because we haven't haven't yet, right? You need security in order to support privacy goals, right? You can't have you can I, I will go out on a limb and say you can't have privacy if you don't have security. But the, true, the, the reverse is not the reverse is not true, right? You can you can potentially have security without privacy, but you can't have privacy without security. And so, where also those relationships? Performance. Let's talk about performance for a second, right? Performance code. Security may influence performance. It does, and usually yeah. does. And usually does, right? So those those are potentially mutually exclusive. Quality, I think that's the underpinning. If you don't have quality, you don't have anything else, right? So I think we've established that. Um, and we have other illities here, right? Maintainability, compliance. supportability. Um, compliant, well, compliance, yeah. Uh, that's, uh, another, that's another word on the list, compliance. What's the illity there? Uh, compliability? Compliability. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Securance. But <laughs> no, so but actually that brings up another interesting another interesting discussion point perhaps. We've been sort of focusing on purely defense like and prevention, and that's been the core, right? If you if you're if you're worried about remote code injection if you're worried about malware, you're worried about remote code injection, you're gonna prevent you're gonna try and prevent all buffer overflows. And we know we can't stop all of those from existing. So then is defense and and preventative defense the the primary focus, or should it be the primary focus, or should we start or be more more lo looking at more like more um, more commonly now um, either a blend or focusing more on um, detection? I'll say detection, monitoring, management, and less so on on you know. And, and I, it really pains me specifically to say, you know, to 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 make resiliency and def and and pro proactive defense to be not the the primary focus. But we're losing the we're losing the vulnerability war here, <laughs> and so maybe it's time to shift shift gears. I thought you were going to say shift left for a second. I was That's like, right. oh. uh, no. I, I, you <laughs> know, as you as you were kind of talking through that, I think. You know, we again going back to the word security. I think there's so many different pieces to that word, and so there's like, how do we build secure products through the the practices and secure coding with our developers? I also think there's how do we build products that can kind of can have a level of resiliency to do detection if they notice some abnormalities in it, like if performance started going out of out of you know off off spike, they can actually start flagging things within it. And as you said, detection. And I, I think they're too, you know, when we think about developers, I don't really see developers fitting in that side of the house. I really feel like they, they sit more in, when we think about building secure products, they fit 
or in that kind of secure coding. These are just other things to help customers understand, you know, how to kind of put the eyeballs out there if something is potentially hitting their system. Yeah, actually, and can I just, I, I just want to jump in there for just a sec. The, the, I have not seen it, and I'm, and, and I would love to be corrected here if, if, if any of you have a good resource or, or want to talk about this. But the idea of self-healing, self-inventing, and self-healing systems—have we really gotten there yet? Right? Mm -hmm. Do we have? We don't have. We don't have those features. It's 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 like AI, right? It's not fully here yet, and we've been waiting for it for a long time. I feel like that was a campaign, though, a number of years ago. For real, it was a it was a marketing campaign of self-defending, self-healing, and then it just like lots of marketing campaigns it just kind of dissipated and people stopped talking about it i don't know that we ever got anywhere close to self-defending like that was even right. before ai was a big thing so i don't think they were even talking about ai doing some defense action i think it was just that that was just really a lot of fluff is what i, yeah, I only saw William Gibson write your marketing material but uh, <laughs> the, the the thing is you guys it's so many <laughs> In there. Uh, it's, our it's just so many interesting points in there that I, I, I wish I, I still had the head. It's, it's five something to go back and, and go point by point. But what, one thing I can tell you, Matt's touched into a facet of things that is fast becoming my, my new uh, best subject. And that is the, the, the fact that uh, monitoring and detection and, and all that good stuff is becoming more central to our efforts. And that, to me, joins the, the developer side of things when we think in terms of there's this huge arsenal of tools out there that has been used for observability that we haven't quite started using for security. There are some efforts there. But there's a huge amount of data in there that the developer intrinsically knows and understands because they're producing it, right? The, the, the signals, the traces, the logs, all that, that, that kind of good stuff. And we have not yet gotten to the depth that we can at the developer level to provide them with, with that security. It, it's funny to me because like years and years and years and years ago, sitting in front of a, a Sun tree workstation, and there's this new binary that you didn't know what it was, you would run Trust. Later on on Linux, you would run S-Trace, right? And those are tools that par excellence, they are debugging tools that developers would use in those times and even today to do observability on those binaries. Understand mm -hmm. what system calls are happening here, what's the, the arguments, where is stuff going, right? And then to, to Matt's point of uh, uh, teaching more, less defense and a bit more of the, the taste of attack, a couple of years ago, I was teaching someone about buffer overflows. And you go into a Linux virtual machine and you start showing them stuff, but then you start telling them, okay, now you have to turn off this thing and you have to, to turn off ASR <laughs> and you have to compile it without this flag and that flag. And the person was just looking at me and saying, wait, if I have to turn all this stuff just so that the buffer overflow actually works, then is that a problem actually? I mean, have we gotten to a point where some of our defenses are good enough so that we can finally say we have removed a whole class of, of, of bugs from the table. And that jumps into the discussion that we still want to have about Rust. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't think. I mean, I don't think we're there where we can say buffer overflows have been completely mitigated at this stage. But I want to come back to something else you were talking about from observability because I want to bring RASP into the conversation here. Runtime application self protection. Like when I think about what's changed the game in AppSec in the last couple of years, I think RASP is on is on that list of you know we could probably talk for hours about how threat modeling is on that list as well. But I think when I think about what RASP provides for us of being able to have that observability and make that security decision inside the runtime environment for an application, listen, I don't work for a RASP company. I don't, you know, I'm not trying to tell people they need to buy it. I'm just, I think that's, that's been a big movement forward though, of once again, enabling that observability detecting things like SQL injection, where you have almost a hundred, you could say it's a hundred percent hit rate. If you're doing it inside the runtime app of the application, like there's, there is no false positive there because the, the SQL's it's, there, yeah. it gets, it's going to, you know, you, you've got that observability there. And so I think RASP is something that has been really industry, industry shaping for AppSec and, you know, the places that all of us like to like to play. And I think RASP, answers a lot of those things that you were talking about there as far as observability and getting developers the information they need about the thing they're an expert in as far as the execution of the application. And yet it's not everywhere. Why? Education. Well, I think it's a, it's a system, it's a system design question too, right? You have to design for it. And oh, by the way, here's security again, because now you're generating data so it's a circular, it's a, it becomes a circular problem again, right? There's another thing there that you're not, you, you, you are adding, you are adding a layer to the system that's not part of the system or that's not being designed on the system or that is code that somebody else wrote that it's not one of the libraries that you wisely chose to the system. So you are impacting that other I, thing I th performance. And as we know, I, I was just going to add, I think that we're being, that that's going back to, I think that's idealistic. I think let, let's kind of put the lay of the land out there of what a developer's life is. I hate to bring up the word, so I'm going to just say, I'm not going to bring it up, but you know, you're on sprints, you have velocity curves, you're all like user point stories, you, you know, you're trying to get your basic, you know, coding stuff done, then you're trying to, you know, make features. And then, you know, on top of that, you have people knocking on the door saying your code isn't optimized because it's not performing as fast. And then you have somebody knocking, your testers are throwing 50 million bugs at you. Then you have security coming knocking at your door saying, well, you need to do this, you need to do that. So I think RASP is a good concept, but I think the foundations really need to just, we need to get better at the basics before we go to the advanced, unless you believe the advanced can outweigh the basics and you don't really need to do the basics because the advanced will end up taking care of just everything. One of the dangers of RASP, you just unlocked one of the dangers though that I see in RASP, and that is people become complacent. Oh, the RASP will take care of it. The RASP, I don't have to worry about SQL injection. Even if it gets in, the RASP agent will knock it out. Same way as they did with firewalls, same, same way as they did with WAFs. Remember when WAFs were going to, to, to put all of us out of a job? <laughs> Somehow it didn't happen. I don't know. I don't yep. know what happened. But... Well, you, you know what's next, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Please say it, Matt. Say it. No, no, I don't want to spend more money on the on the swear jar. <laughs> <laughs>
I've racked up quite a bill already. <laughs> <laughs> the old zero trust. And I think that's but what I, but actually, no, it, it actually sort of, it does bring up a, an interesting um, aspect of maybe we're looking at the problem wrong. Uh, and maybe, so, I, so maybe back to one of the earlier statements that, that Chris brought up um, of could we take developers out of the picture? And maybe we can in a limited fashion. So today, if and if we look at, uh, so first off, I think DevOps or DevSecOps is a not a well-baked idea, even still today. Personally. Wow, controversy. Wow. I agree with him. You're giving a lot of power to, you're giving a lot of power and response, you're giving a lot of power and responsibility to developers with not necessarily all the capabilities or tools or, or, or knowledge that they need. And so there's a there's a positive and there's a negative to that. But if we think about this as sort of an evolution, maybe what we need to look towards is, let's take uh, Kubernetes uh, environment as an example. If developers weren't responsible for the Kubernetes environment and you instrumented it to run containers with RASP and logs and all the infrastructure and all the monitoring and all the things that we that we as security need, and it's, uh, oh, I guess if it's transparent to the user, uh, to the developer, and they just drop in workloads into that environment, they get we get security, they get productivity, and we're all happy-ish, right? Uh, so maybe we need to look at this differently. We in security need to influence the technology decisions so that the infrastructure can support our needs and developers can work within a shell that that they can then feel comfortable with so that they can be productive and do what they need to do effectively. Wow, Matt, coming to coming around to kind of where I started this conversation about, uh, you know, could we do this without them? So, Tanya, Izar, you got any responses, rebuttals to that idea of a zero Dev security, zero dev security, is that what we're calling it now? I've, I've got some thoughts, but Azar, but, uh, I'll, I'll let you go I, first. <laughs> Thank you, Tanya. Thank you. I, 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 as I said, when, when, when Matt just put it down, I, I agree with him. There's a lot of stuff that's half-baked. And, of course, it goes back to the word of the day, shiny stuff. But, on the other hand, I think that the whole proposal, of the well, part of the whole proposal behind the, 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 the whole thing was that, hey, security, you guys want something to be all around the infrastructure, that's fine. So just write this whatever as code and it's going to make sure that everything gets included into everything else and all the instrumentation is going to be there and all the libraries are going to be in place and everything is going to be fine. And I think that we, we have gotten to a place where we have a lot of that. Unfortunately, we, we have so much things running as code today that we haven't, I haven't found yet a, a quick way to do code as code. Every time that I try to write something, I spend so much more time building the whatever is needed around it as code, right? And I, I think the developers are suffering from that too. I mean that we, we we were so afraid of giving them a single point of failure that we ended up giving them millions. And all this this infrastructure ends up being put together with a lot of 
duct tape and hope. And it's, sometimes the truth. I know, I, I agree with both of what you've said. I would also add, I mean, not everyone, everyone has different development environments. Everyone have, you know, how they build their products or applications are different. So not everyone always use containers, Matt. I, I always go back to, you know, we're thinking about tools. How can we make these tools smarter to better help our developers? Like, how do we reduce false positives? How do we get them really focused on what they really need to be focused on as part of that pipeline? And um, I'd be interested to kind of hear all of your thoughts on, do you think that um, the industry is better serving developers or not serving developers? So before we answer that, I just want to clarify. So I yeah. was using the containers as an example, as an area where we could potentially do uh, a good work of building an environment that developers yeah. could make use of that have the security properties that we need. It is not universal. Yeah. It will not work for everything, right? Hardware hardware interfaces, It's I, I can't imagine, unless we're also building hardware com hardware modules, that that would be that would be feasible. So it's very focused, very very specialized, I think. Um, but but that may solve, you know, if that solves 80% of all of the of all the data breaches of of you know high performance web web environments, great. That's plus. That's that. So I just it seems to like that should be possible there. now too, like for in special cases. Like to your the caveat you made, like there's if you're doing something different than normal web application, then all bets are off. Like we can't we can't make these statements about it. But I mean I think there's something there to having building an environment and it's 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 a pretty tight set of guardrails that are that are constraining what the developer can put into this and and the controls that are going to exist are prescribed and and are part of the assurance that we gain from the entire system. But yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of one-off cases that'll break that model as well. But the moment we start laying down those things, you always get somebody coming and saying, oh, we, you are getting a, a talented painter and telling yeah. them that they can only use two colors, right? Because we are putting those guardrails and, and people are feeling constrained by them. That's a yeah, whole other look. What we're really saying is we're invent, uh, hiring a painter and we're putting the scaffolding up and attaching it to the fr to the frame of what they're going to be painting on, and they can then choose their tools from there, right? So we're again, you're looking at it. We're looking at it with the yeah, with but the it wrong seems constraint. To me what you're saying though is, is that think. if we're we're trying to reduce some level of risk, but in that it also seems that we're not really trusting our developers. We're we're painting a beautiful little play box with a fence around and saying you have to stay here. You can't go over the fence. You can't go through the fence. You know, but at the same time, in doing that, we're also protecting. You know, we we have a level of protection in in what we're building, like to prevent attackers from getting in. And which which one rules? But, like, we, is it? You know, we started saying, "Can we trust them?" In in different words from where we we started, right? And I think that the place that I'm driving at is. And this is going to, to, to sound horrible because I do think that programming is an art, right? At some point, we have to tell them you're not a painter. You, you are a Lego builder, and, and here are the Lego pieces, and go build the, this thing that I want with these Lego pieces, right? I mean, think about the modern it, application, though. Like, 
The modern application is Lego. Yeah, no, exactly. At least for modern yeah, web applications. But that's no different. But, but where still, does where is, it, where is the framework when people start painting off the off the colored uh, boxes, right? But where does that end? Is our that's true for designing? It's true for UX interface. It's true for every aspect, right? Of of building a product. So we're advocating for low, no code everywhere. Just use it everywhere. Like we don't need languages anymore. It's it's interesting that you pulled that to designing because many times I have seen reactions from teams while threat modeling where people would say, why do you have to do this so confusing? Why do you have to, to do this so complex? There's a much simpler way of doing. And usually, and I think that it's safe to say, usually the simpler way if it's not more secure by itself, it's easier to spot the non-secure places because you are not churning into that complexity, right? So I think that we are tending to, as, as Chris said, we, we are tending towards everybody agreeing that, yes, we, have, we are building Legos. Of course, we are building Legos with a lot of creativity. We are build, building new Lego pieces every day. But we should not be painting the the ceiling of the, the Sistine Chapel every time that you want to create a single page application. And that's where security meets meets, meets the world, I think, meets, meets the developer. And saying, hey, listen, you have to be aware of these things. You have to understand there is a minimum set of things that are required for this thing to be able to, to function in the real world. If it touches your performance, if it touches the limits of what you need, uh, what you need to do, then you are painting out of those guardrails that we, we, we told you. So come and discuss it with us so that we can help you. And by the way, it's not a it's not a trust issue. Well, it's not specifically a trust issue, or it should not be framed as such. What security brings, to some extent, is a different view on requirements. And so when we build that sandbox, if we were to build the sandbox, let's take the panner example, right? We'll be able to scaffolding and the bounds and here's the here's the your canvas and we've secured your canvas. Because we know that OSHA here in the US, for instance, is going to, you know, sue us out of existence if if you get hurt. And so we're here to partner with you so that we all meet our goals and we all meet our objectives yeah. and we don't get sued out of existence. Now, obviously, a very extreme example here, but and if we have that conversation as, secu as security professionals that we're here to help make the project, project a success yeah. and not we're here to stop you from doing something stupid because we don't trust you not to, uh, then... And, and obviously, this is easier said than done, right? Because it comes down to how do you eventually get, how do you make it to that, that level of conversation so that they really believe you when you say that, <laughs> that you're here to, and even to, worse, to share your experience. Stop you from doing something I, that I we think, think is stupid. Yeah. Which I, I think ultimately, there has to be a level of collaboration between the two. So we, we need to be better informed how we better help them. And likewise, they need to understand the requirements that we're putting forth, right? Because the industry, technology, everything keeps changing. So I think, Chris, at least in my opinion, to go back to your initial question, I don't think you, you can 
give up on developers right when it comes to security it's it's always got to be a dance and a strong partnership yeah, and i think we're all gonna yep we're all gonna we're all gonna agree with that i think at the end of the day none of us are gonna be like no we should just give up on unless we have ai <laughs> give up on yeah but it's a fun thought exercise <laughs> yeah if we had you know if we had chat gpt open ai doing it for us but like it's a good thought exercise, though, because it does it does cause a, cause us to consider the boundaries and you know what are we asking of people and and you know a lot of different things. So it's good to go through that exercise. Um, I, I think Tanya, I think you summed it up for us pretty well there as kind of a closing statement or a you know a takeaway here that you know we do we do all agree that security and development it's about that partnership it's about that collaborative that's the only way we're going to get. Uh, where we want to go to Ezar's very early point, we're never going to scale enough. You're never going to have a one-to-one security to development. There's just not, it's just not possible. And so, by security and, and uh, development partnering together, that's really the the path forward for the future. So, um, thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of the Security Table, and stay tuned for the next episode where we're going to talk maybe SBOM. I also got a couple other ideas here, DevOps. DevSecOps, we're going to argue that one out on a separate conversation. We're going to save that for a whole other day. So thanks, folks.